Getting started in stand-up comedy, it's no laughing matter, and we'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Up TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent oh, fact-checking and corrections Got are it. encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Funwise Capital. Funwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals. Connect with Funwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Is everybody ready for the mind document the show? Well, ready is a subjective term now, isn't it? Start the clock! <laughs> oh, yes. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. As always, it's President's Day. Big friggin' deal, right? Who celebrates President's Day in any way that has anything to do with the actual holiday? You know, it used to be George Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday. When I was a kid, we got two, two holidays for the price of one in February. We had two separate holidays, Lincoln's birthday and George Washington's birthday. And somewhere along the line, they said, nah, you're getting too much there. We're going to cut back on your holidays. We're just going to give you one, and we're going to celebrate every president. It was like, every president isn't worth celebrating. I mean, who's celebrating Nixon today? Anybody? Oh, Roger Stone, maybe. Um, President's Day. I don't know. But I think you're probably grateful uh, to have the day off wherever you are. As you know, or you may not know, this is my third show today, and things are asked backwards, upside down, and inside out, because I have a comedian on tonight, which is generally reserved for the morning show. Morning's down there. You see it? And then I had an afternoon show, a special afternoon show with a bona fide rock star, uh, great uh, personality, uh, Kenny Arnoff, the drummer from John Mellencamp, and uh, so many other uh, artist hit records. And tonight we have a young comedian. I say young, I don't really know how old he is, but I know he hasn't been in the game all that long, maybe uh, five years. Dep- See, here's the deal with the internet. People write stuff on the internet, but they write it as if everybody who's reading it is going to read it today. So I read something, I think uh, Lafayette uh, or Louisville laughs. 
and it said he'd been in the business, he'd been in stand-up comedy for three years. But there's no date on that to say when they wrote that. They could have wrote that 50 years ago. And so when when you're writing stuff on the internet, put the date. That's my... Uh, Andrew Riggs apparently has been in stand-up comedy for more than four years. He hails from Kentucky, but now made the terrible mistake of uh, migrating migrating to uh, New Jersey of all the terrible places in the world to live. Uh, maybe there's something funny in that. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your mind, and help me welcome in Andrew Riggs to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Andrew, welcome. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, so, Kentucky, I like Kentucky, but it uh, doesn't seem like a breeding ground for uh, comedy. Let's get to it. Let's get to how long have you actually been in the game. In, um, in July will be six years. Six years. So yeah. whoever wrote three years is that they wrote that three years ago and they haven't <laughs> updated it. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a, uh, that's the, a little laughs article. Is that what you? Yeah, yeah, Louisville left. I think it was something like that. But uh, yeah. in that, they they also said that you you practice self enhancing comedy. I think they meant self effacing comedy <laughs> <laughs> at the time. At the time, it was true, I guess. But um, a lot has changed in three years. Um, that article that was written about me when I had just moved to New Jersey which I stayed at for like two and a half, almost three years. And then I just moved back to Cincinnati. So I came oh, back to Kentucky. So you're back in, in Cincinnati now. Oh, that, well, mm-hmm. that Cincinnati yeah. is, for all intents and purposes, Cincinnati is kind of uh, Kentucky. I know people from Kentucky, their football team is the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, sure. and, and so it's kind of like all one down there. So, uh, comedy scene down there is it is it happening? Is there's a comedy active comedy scene in Kentucky or the Cincinnati area? Yeah, um, uh, Cincinnati actually has one of the most supportive scenes that um, I've ever been part of. They have this really cool thing actually that they do, um, which I've never really seen anywhere else. It's a feedback mic where you actually get to go to uh, Go Bananas uh, Comedy Club. And, and like the the people that you know seriously do comedy, you get to sit down with other like touring headliners and all this stuff, and like run your material past them, and they'll uh, say, ah, "Have you considered coming at it from this angle? Um, this would be a good punch for that. This would be a good tag for that." Um, very supportive, very very supportive uh, group a, of people. That's in so cool, Sam. I mean, it, first of all. Um... Not for everybody. You have to, you have to at least have a little thick skin if you're going to even get into that, because you're probably going to face some criticism that's hard to hear if you're sure. a beginner. But sure. well worth it, right? Yeah, yeah, cool stuff. Um, so, is that where you got your start? Uh, no, I got my start in Louisville, um, and then uh, did that for two. Uh, two and a half-ish years. Um, the Comedy Caravan, if you're familiar with what that is, that's been a, a long-standing comedy club there. That's That would be my home club. Okay. Uh, now, uh, are you still married? I am. Okay, because it said in that in that article it said you moved to New Jersey because, because your wife's family was there, and then uh, when yeah. you said you moved back, I started thinking, oh, uh, maybe it didn't work out there. Maybe <laughs> the way uh, my, no, my, my family came and saw your comedy and said, "Are you married to that guy?" 
Get they it. love my comedy, uh, actually, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, there's jokes about, like, I have jokes about New Jersey that they're like, hey, you can get out if you if you want. And I'm like, all right, I'll stay for like six more months. But after that, I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I've been married. Uh, it will be three years in uh, November. Well, good for you, and and I wish you the best of luck with it. Now, I have your Facebook. Uh, where where is where is Facebook dot com slash rarest pupper? I believe that's your Facebook page. Yeah, and then the YouTube page, which is linked right off of there. Also, there's an Instagram. If you go to Facebook page, there's a link to his Instagram page. That's in the in the description for people who mm-hmm. want to find out more about you. And it's it's here rolling in the scroll now. Um, what I noticed on your Instagram page, uh, it was a post from a year ago, but there were there was a, a post of upcoming dates, and I was like, "Wow, this is impressive for a guy who has not been in it ten years yet." And I did, I, mm-hmm. I was making that assumption that you were getting around a lot and 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 having like you know not a wide national tour, but a tour of places that aren't weren't all in one set and that a state, and that's pretty impressive. Getting started. In that, in branching out from your home base, is the biggest challenge for young comedians. How did how did you manage to pull that off? Um, so with with my comedy career, I, I've gotten very lucky, and I've performed in front of the right people at the right time. Um, you know, a, a year in, I performed um, a very good set for a, a touring headliner, and he actually took me on like a mini tour to host with him. And I got to go to um, Zany's, uh, Nashville, the Blue Room, Crackers, Indianapolis. Um, uh, there's this place, I think it's called like Chuckle, but uh, what is that place? Um, it's in Florida. Um, no, side splitters. That's what I'm thinking. Um, and then the funny zone, I got to go there when I was just like a year into comedy. And then uh, it kind of spoiled me. And just doing comedy with the right people has helped me a lot and being very consistent and going to mics and doing those shows that maybe other people don't want to do and being consistently goofy. It's kind of. Is where, that where how you describe from? yourself? Because I I don't get that. I think you're um, and and I don't want to don't don't base my impression or uh, nobody should go by my impression. But what I got from seeing your YouTube videos is mm. observational and smart and witty, not goofy. I mean, uh, <laughs> I try I try to balance the two. <laughs> I try to okay. um, I try to because I this I have this problem sometimes when like i'm doing let's say i'm doing a bar show and and this has happened and you know franklin ohio and i'm doing very smart observational humor and they're like i don't i don't know what a placebo effect is (laughs) i'm like oh uh well you You guys ever seen forrest gump (laughs) you know just uh being able to transition, it helps you a lot. I wonder if if the audiences are just getting dumber. The other night, uh, I I had a gig, and I after the gig, I said to the lead singer of my band, I, I went to tell her a joke that I heard on uh, watching a Buddy Hackett 
on Johnny Carson clip from like the 1960s. It was a, it was a, a joke, but the punchline was, don't listen to the sheep. They're all liars. Now, you don't really have to know the joke mm-hmm. to, to understand what that's about. A farmer saying, don't listen to the sheep. They're all liars. Uh, you can kind of get that. But she didn't get it at all. And my the bass player in my band was walking by. He said, I didn't even hear the joke. I know. I get what it. <laughs> I get the punchline. But she, I don't <laughs> get it. Like, oh, I'm wondering, like, is the audience getting dumbed down to where it's hard? You have to make jokes like really simple. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you uh, you have something that works everywhere else, and then in just that one spot, like even across the town, like on one side of Cincinnati, it works on the other side. It doesn't right. for whatever reason. And it's just like, you guys like newspapers. <laughs> yeah. You right. have to, I, I think that attention spans have gotten kind of shorter. So like back in the day, everybody wanted to read the newspaper or watch the news. And now if it's not a TikTok, I they may not get the reference. Yeah, so uh, talk to me about this because this uh, for music it's it's a challenge because with all the shorts, TikTok and YouTube shorts and Facebook mm-hmm. reels and Instagram yeah. reels, they're short. You can't fit a whole song in there. So and a lot of times your best material is not going to fit in there. So you have to choose where's there a laugh within one minute and is it a powerful enough? Really challenging to find content to put online in that short format that everybody is opting towards now right sure um so what i personally do is um i won't put a bit on there but if i have a one-liner um that's just kind of a throwaway but i have a decent enough video of it i'll put it up if it's just a standalone joke that's less than honestly if it's less than 20 seconds that's the best thing that you can do because those shorts oddly enough i mean they've helped me i, I think i had one that went kind of viral i think it got like 10 10 or twelve thousand plays i mean that's not really viral but it's it was viral enough that it got me like 25 subscribers out of it and i was like Okay. Uh, it is difficult though. It, right. It's difficult. Like finding that perfect 20 seconds or 15 seconds. Yeah. And I get it. you um, can't really expect them to stay for the, cause you can make them up to a minute on YouTube. You yeah. can't expect them to stay for the minute. <laughs> you just can't. I know it's crazy how a long form content is mm-hmm. uh, really, it's only for certain people. And, and the one minute things are addictive, but just, uh, just, to to follow up on your point, ten thousand, twelve thousand views for somebody who's not a big channel is viral. Viral can be, mean a lot of different things to anybody, sure. but it, you know it's so hard to break through if you're not like one of those Mr. Beast or something like that. That ten thousand or twelve thousand views is a major success. Uh, sad to say that, but that's that's the case. Um, but when you're talking about different audiences there's one clip on youtube that you have that um you're talking about a certain kind of judgment and you said you're just setting it up and you said have you ever been to 
Walmart or Kroger <laughs> and you get a, a, shot, a car with one wheel. And I heard the audience actually respond to that like, oh, God, he's going to talk about the wheel. Like they got excited that the yeah. the funny wheel joke was coming up. It's like, wow, this is really so telling about the audience is playing for here. They're, yeah. they're excited to hear a shopping cart wheel joke. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of like um, like the Seinfeld uh, I don't know how to explain. Like, you you've been to the beach. You've put your keys in your shoes when you're about to go swim, and just Jerry Seinfeld talking about it. Like, some part of you goes, "Hey, that's yeah. I've been there. I've been there. I get it. I, that's my life." Um, it's the Midwest, though. They get they get excited for almost nothing here. So. Right. So did you did you film a full hour special? Do do I have that correct? No. Um. So I have four um fifteen minute specials. Okay. It it is an hour, but what I'm gonna do is release it by the season. So I'll have like a a winter special, a spring special, a summer special, and a fall special. What's your um? Because there are. I have comedians on here who refuse to put any of their material online because they're worried that, you know, that means I have to write new material. And I, I'm not ready for that yet. Even though they have a, a good solid hour, they don't mm-hmm. want to do any of it. The, they, they're not, they don't feel like they're ready for a special, but they don't want to even put out reels or anything. Nothing of it. They'll do on purpose make a reel in their house like you know i'm gonna say something funny for the camera but it's not them performing stand-up what's your take on that on burning material you don't care about that you just write more um so i had been doing the same 30 minutes for almost two years and i i just i was tired of it um and i would have like a a 10 to 15 minute chunk that i could pivot and i could do whatever i wanted with it i could do crowd work or i could you know buff out some bits but i think that putting out specials is a very good practice because it forces you to write which i think a lot of comedians don't want to admit is kind of the most important part of the job and it's the hardest part of the job. It's the it most is. least rewarding in in the moment part of the job because you're alone. You nobody's mm-hmm. giving you any feedback. You and listen, as an artist, everybody thrives. I know when I was young and I'd write a song, I couldn't wait to play it for somebody so somebody could give me an attaboy. That's a good song. And sure. so I, I, it's got to be the same writing jokes as you. You wrote something that you think is really funny. The instinct is I gotta I gotta share this with I gotta get a laugh. <laughs> That's why I wrote yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Um I I think that you have to you have to do I, I'm not gonna like take myself super seriously and say like this is the recipe for success in, in comedy because I'm I'm not there yet. But if I plan on ever getting there, I have to I have to write and I have to get out and I have to do shows. I can't just like write a joke down and be like, they're going to laugh or, you know, just, yeah, I got 45. It'll be fine. I'll, I'll die with this 45. It's. Well, you know, I, I, I hear you and I would, I would feel exactly the way you do, but 
the other night, the other night, I was uh, I was not feeling in, in the best of moods, and I went to search for some comedy to pick me up, and I, mm-hmm. I found Stephen Wright. And you remember, you know Stephen Wright? Yeah, from, absolutely. Yeah, spilled and spot right over on my dog, and now he's uh, gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I got a, a new dog with a paranoid retriever. He just keeps bringing everything back because he don't know what I told him. Um, <laughs> but he I was has, watching uh, uh, his he best joke. Sorry, and, and it seemed to me he only had 10 really solid minutes of material for yeah. as big a career as he had. And he did it for 20 years that I knew. You know, I was a fan of uh, every every clip that I saw him or everything that's on YouTube is the same jokes from the beginning of his career to the end of his career. And I'm like, wow, he didn't get sick of doing that. He he's, he did the same material in the same, you know, deadpan voice that he had forever. What's, what's insane to me is like, because he, he was the king of one-liners, but like he has an hour-long special at least. Right. And it's an hour of one-liners. Right. That's insane to like memorize that. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, the same thing. Like well, Hedberg, at least just... I was. You, I my mind went to Hedberg immediately when you started talking about that. But Hedberg at least would giggle every once in a while at yeah. his own joke. Stephen Wright never broke that. You know, I got a. You know, my uncle worked for a, Brink, a Ringling Brothers circus when he died. All his friends came to see him in one car. <laughs> yes. And, my and favorite never... joke. <laughs> my favorite joke by him is he's talking about he's in the checkout line and he's like, he's getting like milk and some eggs, I think is what the items are the items aren't the important part but the the cashier goes is that all and he goes no i'd like to buy these (laughs) (laughs) so it it, it's so nonsensical that i i I don't know that's my favorite joke of his yeah uh and i'm wondering if if that could possibly work in a comedy club these days because uh, and I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it could. I mean, maybe the, if you're there and you condition a laugh and you went there for that. But it seems to me, you know, big and boisterous is probably mm. the trend. Most people want to be, you know, bigger than life in a comedy club these days, not bring it small and inside. And that would, it's t- mm. kind of a brave thing. I'm thinking, like, when he got started, how how brave that must have been just to walk up yeah. on stage and start acting like that. And people, <laughs> this guy, all right. Um, but yeah. So uh, when you were, uh, I, I, I don't, I'm always uncomfortable asking how, how old, how old are you? <laughs> 30. 30. So yeah. when you were coming up, uh, wow. I'm trying to think of uh, that era, 1990s, when you were a young boy, oh, at Comedy Central, I guess. What were your first influences in comedy? Where did you first? It wasn't records like my my upbringing uh, in comedy was. Um, so my my first, I guess, my first comedy record that I ever heard, which it, it doesn't really make much sense now, was Andrew Dice Clay, "The Day the Laughter Died." Oh man, um, which <laughs> was kind of a weird exposure to comedy overall. Um, 
but I guess the media or medium that I had been exposed to it the most frequently would have been um, Dave Attell. He's have late, late night with Dave Attell. Um, oh. He, he, he really got me into comedy. Uh, Dave Chappelle's killing them softly. Um, uh, honestly, the blue collar comedy guys, um, because I was really into Ron white when I was younger. Um, I'm, I still am. He's, he's super consistent and a very, very funny guy. Um, yeah. that's so I, so cool first of all the the Attell thing I mean I think Dave Attell is the most underrated or under, under, underappreciated uh, absolutely working today I mean and it's just like on that level and and doesn't seem to care that he's underappreciated or, or, or you know he's just he loves the work he loves going out there doing it and God bless him for that um, but, uh, I, I'm so curious, like, how could the day the laughter die not turn you off to comedy? I mean, the first time you heard that, did, did you, did you get the sarcasm and the, the dryness of what he was trying to do as a kid? So, um, I have a pretty dry sense of humor. Um, usually like my personal sense of humor is pretty, is pretty dry. Um, my brother was like, have you ever uh have you ever heard of dice and i was like no i have no idea what that is and he was like this is the biggest comedian in the world because i i mean like maybe a little bit before then but around that time he he was he was he was the only person like I, i read somewhere that his ticket sales uh competed with like queens or, yeah, or yeah, something yeah. it's something I mean, insane beatles <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he if if you talk to him he'll tell you he's still the biggest comic and biggest comedian in the world but no he was selling out madison square garden when it hadn't been done by you know comedians never played madison square garden they would yeah. play clubs every once in a while theater they weren't playing football stadiums he was the first guy to do that and it he was the biggest thing on the planet at the at the time, so, uh, but I just can't he, imagine that work of his getting through to a young person. That is very I, it shows a level I, of maturity, I, I guess. I, I remember my my brother like talking to him about it, and I was like, um, I don't get it. Like, I don't. It, most of it's like not funny, and he was like, "That's the point." Yeah, the day and the I was like, died. "What do you mean?" And he was like, "This album was made." to show how unseriously he takes comedy while being the best comedian or the, you know, the most successful comedian currently in the world. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, that I, I, I really like um, talking to comedians from that era. Um, there's a guy here. Um, his name is Dennis Piper. And the he's been doing comedy now for fifty two years, I believe. Wow. Um, so when he started comedy, he opened for Roy Orbison, <laughs> which is a crazy thing to have on your uh, resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, I talk about comedians open for musicians all the time, but Roy yeah. Orbison's crowd was definitely not in the mood for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just like a very interesting like bio to have just like 
yes, I used to open for Roy Orbison. That's, I mean, because what before before really the eighties, you didn't have you didn't have comedy only shows. You had like variety shows. That's so everybody was opening for somebody. Um, but not on not the rock star or rock and roll legends like that. And Roy Orbison is certainly a, even though he you wouldn't think of him as a rocker. He was definitely a rock and roll icon, even in the 70s and 60s. I mean, it's it's just a weird thing. Steve Byrne, when I had him on, he was talking about opening for Kanye West at Red Rocks Amphitheater. And I was like, I can't imagine a comedian trying to open for Kanye West in an amphitheater like that, an outdoor amphitheater where people are there to hear hip-hop. He's there to see Kanye, and they're not listening to a word you say. They just say, Kanye! Everything. You can't get through a joke. You know, you're yeah. basically set. Oh, um, let me go back to Dice. That would be... Are you familiar? Yeah. Are, are you okay. familiar with what Dice is doing now? The Instagram thing? Yeah, where he's like, no, I can't, yeah. I can't sign, I can't yeah. sign you today hey, now. I'm busy. <laughs> are you the person who wants to take a picture with me? Are you the, uh, they told me you wanted to, no? Oh, okay. <laughs> it seems like a crazy homeless person walking around, and most people don't know he's <laughs> play. <laughs> to me. And he doesn't, he doesn't ever come out of character. I mean, he's a, such a, uh, a unique, person in, in, the, in the world of comedy it's just really really strange but a he, lot of uh, people from that era definitely tried to imitate him tried to be you know Stanhope talks about that how when he first started doing comedy he was he was trying to do Andrew Dice Clay act it took him two years to figure out that's not me that's not who I am you know um, I, I think it, there, there's always going to be that guy that like uh, c- comedy itself is going to go through phases. So like people are going to try to be dice and for a while people were trying to be Hedgeberg or Hedberg and you know, then people tried to be John Mulaney and then they're trying to be Dan. Co- it was, it's always going to be someone the right. the one that they feel is changing the game. They're like, I need to be like him. You take, if I asked you who was the big guy, the, the, the biggest, uh, the high on the t- totem pole right now, who, who would you think it would be? The uh, most successful, yeah. like, oh. <laughs> the, the person that everyone is trying to be like? Yeah, or even not, that could be be like, but just like, uh, you know, um, the in my day, George Collin was untouchable, and then Richard Pryor was untouchable. They were like sure. the you know, the faces of the comedy Mount Rushmore. Yeah, Mount Rushmore, exactly. Um, so I will say, um, as far as the comedian who has the most respect for just doing what it is that they do in comedy is Dave Chappelle, I would think. Uh, the most renowned is Joe Rogan. Um I honestly, uh, this is going to sound crazy. I don't think Joe Rogan's really that funny of a guy, but I think he's a very interesting guy who happens to be a comedian. To me, there's nothing crazy in that statement whatsoever. I look at Joe Rogan's career, and I I try to analyze it. Like, how did this guy 
I, I know he got on television first, and that's a big thing. You know, he came out, but I think Mitzi at at the comedy store loved him because he was good look, young and good looking, and gave him as much stage time as possible. And I think just his personality of being likable at that time mm-hmm. made people like him and stuff. But I never, I, I've watched the specials, and I was like, how is this guy a not just a uh, stand-up comedian, but one of the most successful ones. I, I can't, how is he selling out amphitheaters? In, in I think it, it's 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 just the like popularity of his podcast, and why his podcast is so popular is because he kind of. I don't know how to say this. I, I'm not trying to sound condescending when I say this, but he, he's kind of a. He's an open enough person like he's trying to understand what the person is saying i don't he's not going to give people pushback whatsoever it's not like watching a mark Marin. only one guy he gave yeah. pushback to and that was a guy and this happened before long before the the covid stuff which made him a little more a little more uh opinionated but yeah. there was a guy who wrote a article about him and i watched oh and he, i remember he that because uh, <laughs> yeah. the fans yeah. will hate him too yeah and the guy the guy was a uh was a, a wimp in his is uh standing up for himself about the article he wrote too i don't know the guy's name he was nobody he's yeah. not the kind of guest you would expect to be on rogan i think rogan just brought him on because he wrote something bad about him and, and he wanted to kick his ass publicly on the podcast. I, I think rogan it, it why he's so popular is because you get to hear from people that you wouldn't normally hear from in that context and the popularity kind of grew from that and that's what's caused him to be at the level that he's at because you have comedians that are way better comedians that are not going to put in the effort to sit down and talk to Neil deGrasse Tyson about theoretical astrophysics because they don't know anything and they're they're willing to be like I don't know anything but then Joe Rogan's like stars are far away, huh? And then, <laughs> and then his guest is like, yeah, <laughs> "Yes, they are." And he's like, "Jamie, how how far away are the stars?" And he's like, "Real far." And then he's like, "You see that real far?" And he's like, "Are you talking to a person who's a subject or like an expert in the subject?" Yeah. And then yeah, um, yeah. but. As far as the people, like the last comedian that I would say the most people try to emulate, honestly, is probably a tell. I think that a lot of people, um, he's, a, I mean, I know he's definitely like, if you look at you know, Tom Segura or Burt Kreischer or I'll say, honestly, like a lot of like John Mulaney, if you, you look at it in a certain way, that they all... Either him or Stanhope. That's where they're pulling their inspiration from. Right. It's one side of the coin or the other. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the best Attell impersonation I ever heard was Stanhope doing it <laughs> on the green room with Paul Provenza. Because Attell calls him up. Did I ever do a? Did I ever do a bit for you? Now I I grew up a couple of miles from from David Tell. I can't do his accent at all, which is really surprising to me. I know I probably my accent all sounds a little like his anyway, which being in the same area. I would love to to be able to do a David Attell impersonation. But the one thing that gets me is going back to Hedberg. 
I saw an early clip of Hedberg where he wasn't Mitch Hedberg. In other words, that that vocal mm-hmm. intonation that he had, that wasn't him. And to me, that blew my mind. Like, wait a minute. You're telling me the Mitch Hedberg I know was a put-on. He he adapted that voice, that all those mannerisms, after he started his career. Because when he was talking, he was just a normal guy. And I was like... Wow, that's so uh, mind-blowing to me. And I'm wondering if Attell does that. <laughs> if, if Attell is putting on extra Long Island, uh, Brooklyn, whatever he's got, uh, just just to, because it's part of his act, part of his persona now. But uh, Gilbert Gottfried, I don't know if you ever yeah, saw yeah. like him like talk outside of like her performance. Um, quiet. Very quiet guy. Yeah, very quiet, very <laughs> calm. Not not as drawn out, not as uh, nasally. It's it's just finding yourself in comedy and what works for you, I guess. And I kind of wish I had a, a, a caricaturized version of myself that I could just go, hey, guys, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not that type. I'm, I'm wondering yes. how, because they always <laughs> talk about finding your voice. And with something like that, when that, these characters, even Ron White, to a certain extent, he had to define that character of himself, that car- uh, caricature, I guess, of mm. himself to, to exaggerate like that. And that's the hardest part for me in, in, in getting started is being honest with yourself enough to look at yourself and say, what's funny about me that I can exaggerate? Because that could be a little painful. It's a lot of looking in the mirror, a lot of in, in, introspection, a lot of saying, what do mm. other people find funny in me? Yeah. That's the easiest thing to do. Um, but it's good to see, or it appears to me, that you are a student of the craft and have, have studied your craft quite a <laughs> bit and know the people who came before you. That's good to see. It's not always the case. I've had... I've had comedians on who don't know any of the the people who laid the groundwork for their career, and I find that disappointing somewhere. I can't imagine anybody in any other discipline, music uh, or, or drama, acting, any of that stuff, yeah. to not know the people who, who laid the groundwork, uh, the groundwork for where and the foundation for where they, they're taking their career. If uh, I ever want to play a symphony, I have to learn chopsticks. Right. Yeah. If that... If that translates how i felt like it would um i i you know i'm i have to know this stuff because it's it's something that's really important to me and i you know i i think that you know like lenny bruce i'm always going to be thankful that he took the swings that he did back in the day and um George Carlin, the the greatest monologuist of all time, like he would go and write, you know, seven pages that he would le- read for a fifty one minute, you know, like stand up like spot, word for word, and he would memorize that. That is so. That is insane to me. Is yeah. memorizing a word for word fifty one minute stand up like routine? Right. I. I, I mean, I. I can do 45, but it's not going to, like, you're going to catch me on a word here or there. You're, you're just going to, I can't do it. I think he did, too. Um, what we didn't see, but I did see, I uh, got a glimpse into it when I started looking for it. We didn't see Colin often working on his material. 
But I saw a clip of him on Late Night uh, with David Letterman in the early years, and he was going on to do nine minutes. He just came out, and uh, he, he didn't go right to the, the over mm-hmm. to talk to Dave. He went out and did stand-up, and he caught himself in the middle of a joke where he, he, he messed up one word, and he stopped himself and went, and then picked it right back up. But you could see he was working on stuff <laughs> and realized that he screwed up one word and that he was angry with himself for, for screwing up that one word. And I was like, wow, that's a, some insight into coffee. There was there was this thing, and it may be an old wives' tale or maybe it's misinformation, whatever. they what I guess those are two of the same thing now. But um, Ray Romano um, had three minutes, and the first time he ever went on – a late night show. It's got to um, be Letterman or, or Leno. I think it, I think it our, may have been Letterman. By time, yeah. I think it may have been Letterman. Um, so he had three minutes that he had been doing, like preparing for like four or five years. And like, I, I at that time you had to do like some kind of a tryout set. And like the people that were doing the same tryout did his three minutes, but he did it last and he did it better than them. So he earned a spot on Letterman. Wow. And I think, I think that's amazing. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's like a, a very old comedian told me that one time. And he was like, the point of that is the point of me telling you that is anybody can do your material, but they can't do it with the same soul that you have. And I was wow. like, Whoa, that is, that is, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and, it, you know, musicians worry about that a lot because musicians aren't all original. Even now, even acts, you know, that are built on all original material uh, go out and do covers and stuff. And they're, if, they're, mm-hmm. if they don't want their opening act doing the same covers and all that stuff, the audience doesn't care. The audience doesn't care. You do it well. You do it in your own personality, your own spirit. If you, the audience will will reward you for it. Um, you're um, you're you're a guitarist and a singer. Is that right? Um, I'm more of a songwriter. I play guitar in the band that I'm with now. I, okay. But I played every instrument in bands, um, and I sing as well. But uh, I would never call myself a singer. I am a uh stylist <laughs> i was a i was a person who played bass and drums for about two years i would never call myself a drummer or a bassist because i am not there um but i music man is a, yeah. it's a very beautiful thing well uh i had kenny arnoff on who was a drummer for uh john mellencamp for 17 years i had him on three hours ago and was talking to him about his career, and he played with everybody, everybody on the sun now. He's a, se- a session musician now. Uh, but uh, because you said what happened to you in your first year, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked him to end that one, is do you believe in luck at all? Does luck play a part in your success? Because his, his approach is all about hard work and preparing and all that stuff. And I, I almost didn't want to ask him the question, but – to some extent, being in the right place or just having that coincidence of having a headline to see you in your first year and appreciate what you do and want to take mm-hmm. you, that is a little bit of luck. Do you, so do you, or do you subscribe to the concept of luck? <clears throat> I will say 
that I've always kind of, uh, some of my grandfather told me this thing when I was very young because uh, I don't remember the exact context, but uh, he grabbed me by the shoulder and he said, uh, son, you know, he called me son. I don't know. Uh, Luck is what happens when um, preparation meets opportunity. And you can say that there is opportunities, sure. But if you're not prepared to do anything with them, you have no one to blame but yourself. That's that's pretty much what Kenny said. I mean, he said he did believe in luck, but you have to be ready to deliver when the opportunity comes. So being in the right place at the right time, sure, that can be fortuitous. But it happens to a lot of people, and they're not ready, or or they don't capitalize on it because, you know. Uh, you have to keep your eyes and ears open for when it happens too, and realize that it's happening. All that, but it, to me, I know there are a lot of frustrated people who, who in their career and who are, would like to be more successful. They believe in themselves, but they're not more successful. And at some point, if that goes on long enough, you become bitter. You know why not? <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of bitterness in any in almost any field there's like old machinists that get mad that the young guy has become a shop foreman there's old comedians getting mad because you know a a person who's been doing comedy 15 months just got a a a feature spot it's without those opportunities and it's it's silly to be bitter about the like the opportunities other people are afforded i i think like Especially if it's not like it's like a, a person that just started comedy being offered a, a feature spot at a, a one nighter in a bar somewhere, and you're mad about it. That's that's how it goes, I guess. Yeah, it's how it goes, and and you have to have the attitude that good for them. Uh, they, you know, I hope they make the best of it. it too often in the creative arts. We start to think of the world as a zero or uh, some end game where uh, mm-hmm. well, there's only so much gigs out there. There's only so much work. Uh, that's not true. It's a fallacy that we, we allow ourselves to believe, and that leads to the bitterness. The other part in stand up is it's such a solitary uh, endeavor. You go out there by yourself. You have no support team with you. The only thing you have to save you is a mic stand and a microphone, and that's it. You're naked up there. So there's mm-hmm. that part of it makes somebody uh, – you, and you spend a lot of time introverted, uh, you know, thinking of your material and all that stuff. All that stuff can tend to make you bitter if you're not seeing results because you feel alone in it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. being a psychiatrist here, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think with uh, comedy though, you kind of get this like networking opportunity at the end of every show, which is pretty good. Um, I don't think a lot of people take advantage of that to just walk up to someone. Hey, my name is Andrew. Uh, I liked your bit about whatever, or are you from around here? You don't even have to compliment them. Are you from around here? Just right. to introduce yourself to people. I, I think that a lot of people miss that step and it ends up biting them in the ass later on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And uh, there's a couple of parts <clears> of what you just said. The green room experience, I think it's super valuable, even if none of that conversation will ever make it into material or make it to the stage. It's a, it, it nurtures your feeling that you belong and it, are, are part of the community of comedy and you know, the, just the idea of laughing with other guys and or girls in some cases, uh, and the idea that you know it is uh, a community thing, and we're all in this together. That strengthens you as a performer because you you, you kind of look at you know brothers in arms type of uh, approach to every job you do. So there's that part of it. Um, but also the networking part, um, Dante, the comedian was on last week and he gives out some great advice. And one of the pieces of advice, Wait, he, Dan- Dante Nero or his name was Dante, the Dante Ruschiarello. Rus- he's, oh, okay. he's the first guy to have, have a sitcom on BET network. Huh. Uh, he's a white guy, um, <laughs> on the BET network. Uh, he's was on uh, last comic standing. He's been in like 30 films, been on every TV show that you can imagine, you know, uh, but so, and it doesn't stand up now for forty years. And one of the things he says is, attach yourself to uh, other comedians. And he doesn't just mean that as a young person attaching themselves to a star. Sometimes the stars need to kind of take other people under the wing. And so, it's much easier to get a gig to say if you say, "Hey, I'm a friend of uh, Dave Chappelle's." <laughs> if you, you try to hold yourself. <laughs> Right uh, now, in the old days, they they couldn't check on that often. They say, "Oh, we know Chappelle." Yeah. <laughs> now they can check on it. But the idea that the more of those relationships where people will vouch for you and and be associated with you, the more and even if it's somebody underneath you on the food chain, you're saying it's a, a valuable thing to have, and comedians need to embrace that. But so many of them want to go it alone. They they feel like you know what. I don't. I don't want to be part of a clique, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So the guy who took you on, the, and you didn't mention his name, and I guess you don't want to. But the first year that you you were out there, the guy. That's what happened to you. That's what part a big part of your success. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, I the post that you were looking at on my Instagram. Um, uh, that's probably the one that has like St. Mark's and cause I haven't posted my dates on there for a while. It had like St. Mark's. It was, Mark's it was and, exactly a year ago. It's February 22. Uh, so that would have had the comic strip, uh, crack pots, uh, that theater. And that all came because of that happened because of Joe Matteris. If you know who Joe Mattery is. Yeah, sure. I, I've been asking him to be on this show for about two years now. <laughs> so I'll call him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Um, he, no, he's actually said yes, but he keeps on telling me, yeah, uh, call me in two weeks and we'll set something up. And after, after like six times of that, I finally, you know, got worn down and said, oh, I'm, uh, I can't keep doing it. Man, um, one time he was like, uh, let's... He's like, uh, you want to come do this show with me? And you know Steve Cooper? Yeah. Yeah. And so I did a show with him and Steve Cooper. And they were like, it's going to be, it'll be like 150 people. I was like, that's fine. And then they were like, 
we just added a hundred seats. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then I guess they did that like three or four more times. It was the biggest crowd that I've ever been in front of. It was like 630 people or something like that. And I remember just being so afraid. I was like, I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail in front of every person I think I've ever met. And no, I did fine. It just, um, the, until the first joke landed, I guess, which was, I mean, it was four seconds into it, but until then I was like, all right, everybody's looking at me like I'm naked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the opposite of what they say about public speaking. Yeah. <laughs> I just think, like, uh, I heard a comedian say this the other day. It was like, uh, you can imagine that everybody in the room is naked, and it's like, just imagine that they like you. That's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> not always. I will say it. Not <laughs> I played for crowds. <laughs> That I thought hated me. And after the uh-huh. show, they come up and say how, how great it was and how much they enjoyed it. And I feel like saying, well, why didn't you show it? Why didn't yeah. you, why didn't you give, it, <laughs> give back a little? You know, we're here working. People don't realize how, how much that means to you. Applause, laughter, all of that mm-hmm. stuff, what it means to you. And if they withhold it and just come up after the show and say, you were really great. It's not the same. I mean, I appreciate the really you were really great too. That's all fine, but it, show it during the show. <laughs> give me, give me something to work with. That energy is what. Um, I think you- that like a, a good thing that I got into. Um, one of my uh, mentors and in, in comedy kind of taught me this: is like if you really think someone's legitimately funny, even if you don't have like a lot of power at the club or whatever, sit next to the most important, important person in the room and laugh the loudest. Um, because they'll, if they like you, like if, if you're friends with the headliner and your person that you've never met is doing a guest spot or whatever it is, and you're laughing super hard, they're going to be like, I think I need to talk to this person. And I don't know, just inspiring that for them because I, I would much rather like give them something, give them right, some yeah. honest feedback and, instead of just sitting there on my phone or ignoring their set completely. Because that's what that's what happens at a lot. Like comedians will go to a, like their home comedy club and just be on their phone. It's like watch the show or go home. It's yeah, yeah, yeah easy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate that when people are in anything in the, on their phone, whether even a sports game, you know, a sporting thing, and you're on the phone. Like, why did you buy a ticket here? Why, why yeah. did you stay home and watch it on TV? Just watch it on your phone at home. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you were talking about being scared, and the thought that came to my mind was uh, Norm MacDonald, after he was already a major success and been doing it for 10 years, was talking about a time he was on Letterman, and he went home and he cried. He put his head in the pillow and cried because he thought he bombed so bad. Now, Norm was great on Letterman every single That's what – that was yeah. his – you know, late night was where he shined the most. And he was never – but inside himself, he felt like he bombed and he was, he was destitute. He, he put his head in the pillow and cried. Have you ever had a, a bombing that bad where you just thought, I want to kill myself? <laughs> uh, 
I'm trying to think of the worst. Oh, I, I, <laughs> so, um, your first, the first time you ever do comedy, it'll be like an open mic or whatever. You invite all of your friends, but the second time you ever do it, they're not coming out again. So it's right. just kind of me. And it was at this club. Well, it's not really a club. It was an open mic in Louisville that they tell you that there's an open mic. And then right when, when you got there, they were like, actually there's a show tonight and there's an open mic afterwards. So you watch the show and then more than half the audience left. Yeah. It's brutal. And then there's a stage, but then it was just a back porch um, that they walk you out to and they go like, uh, this is, this is the open mic. Oh. And then they give you, <laughs> they gave me a mic. They gave me a mic that was not connected to anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're like, you have to shout out the back porch. <laughs> and it's like, it's like one of those like Midwest, like those Midwestern shotgun houses that has like a half a porch, yeah. but, but the railing was broken And I didn't really have like much material and I don't yell anyways. And I was just up there and uh, I think the joke was something like, uh, what what are these kids doing? Practicing yelling? What are you going to grow up to be my stepdad? And (laughs) and they were, they, they went, they didn't do it. Uh, and it was, it was like 12 people and they went, uh, and they like kind of sighed at me doing that joke. And then one of them, this lady went, you had a rough home life. <laughs> and I was so broken in that moment. And I didn't know how to deal with what she had just said to me, because I guess that was the point of the joke, is that I had a rough home life. But she said it in such a yeah. abrasive way that I was Judgmental. like, I said, I got to go. And <laughs> I handed the mic to a comedy person. And I went to my car and I was like, this just isn't for me. I don't know why I came here. Oh, uh, that, oh. that, was, that was one of the... But you made it back. <laughs> you made it back and this is things uh, this is what it takes to be a comedian and most people don't understand this every comedian that you've ever seen has had a different version of that experience the way they felt, <laughs> what are, uh, this isn't for me uh, uh some of them have <laughs> even had it after they've been doing it for 20 years and they, they the idea comes to them oh, i've been doing it too long to give up now <laughs> I mean, i've been too in too deep but <laughs> the idea Every single comedian has felt that at some point in their life. Absolutely. I got to tell you about another one because I just remembered this. Me and my wife, it was right after the lockdowns or the the quarantine had ended. Uh, We went to this place called High Point. And uh, where is High Point? Epsicon. In Epsicon, New Jersey. And it is literally me... My wife, 
and two people, like the two people are sitting at the table in front of me. And then there's like two comedians standing way off in the back. Only like three comedians had signed up for this mic. It was my first show in New Jersey. Um, so I'm first up after the host and the host is like, give it up for our lovely mayor. And that is the guy who is sitting next to me and, and my wife. And then, and then I go up there and his wife is tagging all of my jokes. So if I'm like, yeah, and then that was crazy. She'd be like, and then you washed your hands, I hope. And like, it was just us. So it's just me, my wife, two comedians that are like 30 feet away. And then this lady who is just, I can't yell at her because it's just an aggressive conversation. If there's only two audience members, I can't scare her away. That was rough. So were the comedians in the back of the room laughing or crying or, or... they were just like, because <laughs> they knew like it was happening to them next whether they liked it or not this lady was gonna be like and that was funny like just... yeah. but most of the times when i've been in that situation i the two i look at those two comedians that are not going through that and they are loving it they are they are loving <laughs> it to, watching one of their brothers die on stage <laughs> And and enjoying every bit of agony that you're going through. There's something weird. You know, I, I don't know if that happens in acting, if it happens in music or any of that kind of stuff. That and that Troutenfreude or whatever it is of watching another comedian suffer and get through it. Maybe it's just part of the craft. It's just like knowing, you know, that you're going to have to go through that. And congratulations. Yeah. But it's... Um, it, sane people don't deal with that, but comedians do because you're surrounded by the craziest people that you'll ever meet. Yeah, but yeah. they're also some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Right. I want to be respectful of your time, and we are in, an hour in. But uh, mm-hmm. on the subject of Chappelle, because you talked about him before, and I agree, he's probably uh, at that point where Richard Pryor was when the Sunset Strip and stuff. But I do think. And I'm not I'm not signaling singling out the word singling out Chappelle on this. I do think at some point comedians start to take themselves, especially if they're talking about political stuff and and, mm-hmm. and and social issues, they start to take themselves too seriously and take the funny out of it. I think even Carlin did this towards the end of his career, where sure. he started to become more professorial and less of a comedian. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I think if you earn the right and respect to do that and you're on point and you're right about things, that's fine. But I do think when people pay for comedy, they want to keep the funny in it. And it seems to be a lot of these older guys, as they get to that position, um, kind of lose sight of that and become... Uh, my my opinions on or why people are here—they're not here to laugh, and they forget about that. Uh, do you agree with that on on any level? And 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 you think it's a uh, vocational hazard? <laughs> I think that moral grandstanding. Yeah, I assume that that's that's what you mean. Just being yeah, like yeah. Th- this is the this is good think. This is wrong think. I think that as far as a comedy career is concerned. I don't even take myself seriously as a comedian. And I think that it, it, it 
it's always kind of bothered me when people as comedians, cause, cause you can bring a new light to like a, a dark area. I get that. But like a lot of people that I've interacted with call themselves like modern day philosophers and they took themselves so seriously. Yeah. Um, I think that it's not your position. And, and I honestly, I don't think that, even just comedians, I, I wouldn't like to see rock stars or anybody else. I, I just don't. It, it's not. I, I don't think it's a good idea to say that your fans should think this way, right. or th- like you. You don't really need to state your values that often, and and it's not just like a left leaning or right leaning thing because like Chappelle did it, Schumer did it. Um, if you're a political comedian, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. If you're John Stewart, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, if you've been, I don't know, just talking about poop and farts, and then you're right. just like, hey, also, have you guys checked into Bill One Forty Seven? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like it, it wrong. I don't know. It's the wrong. Yeah, don't forget that people go to comedy generally to escape that stuff. Yeah, and, I don't like the and, virtue signaling. It's 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 icky, especially <laughs> if I pay two hundred and fifty dollars a seat for somebody. Yeah. I want to at least laugh more than twice. Now, and and this is why I was picking on Chappelle a little bit because one of his specials where he was going on the trans stuff, and I don't think he's a hateful person. I don't think he's a, a trans hater and all that stuff that people made him out to be. But it was a lot of lecture, and there were only two or three good laughs in it in an hour. And I was like, which wait, which uh, which one of the later the one of, it might have been the last special that he put out. Uh, what's in a name? Yeah. So. I thought that that was supposed to be a comedy special for a long time. And I realized that that is just a commencement speech that Netflix put out as a comedy special. Right. I didn't know that. I thought that was like killing them softly or like, uh, what is that? Birds and equanimity or like something like that. And I'm watching this and I'm like, but where are the jokes? Right. And there were a couple, a yeah. couple sprinkled in, but yeah. it didn't feel. And I it think was the same with. Uh, do you remember that lady that put out that special, the Netflix special? Oh, um, ah, she's a she's a lesbian. Uh, uh, Australian lady who is a lesbian, and she was talking about um, Hannah Gadsby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who it is. It's the same thing. It is yeah. the same thing where they, where you're just like, I don't. She got murdered for that too. I mean, on on Twitter, I mean, they would drag. Her <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't mean. No, that really murdered. No, that literally <laughs> murdered. When I, yeah, murdered has a couple of different kinds of things. But I mean, yeah. if, from where I, the criticism mm-hmm. is just so brutal, and that's part where you, I think the bigger you get, if you get big. You gotta kind of ignore that. Stuff. Forget what people say about you online. I mean, because anybody can. Everybody's an expert. Everybody, but everybody who never did it is an expert. The, the age of I don't know is dead. Yeah. There, there's no longer like I. I just don't know. Right. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody knows exactly how it should be done and all that kind of stuff. And most of those people never did it, which is, you know, somebody was going off about debris. 
finding the debris for the balloons. And I said, are you a debris expert all of a sudden? Like, <laughs> what if they were? <laughs> what, <laughs> balloon expert? Because right. uh, they were talking about how uh, how long it was taking to do a recover balloon debris. And I said, you know what? Where I live, uh, TWA Flight 800 was shot down. It was 10,000 feet high. It was shot down with uh, thousands of witnesses on the shore, watched it go into the water, was shallow, warm water in the summer, and Mm -hmm. it still took six months to recover only three quarters of the wreckage. You're talking about a balloon 60,000 feet up with no witnesses going into freezing cold water in the middle of winter, and you're surprised they haven't found it yet. It's crazy. Everybody everybody has an opinion, but like I think growing up that it was... Not everybody had to convey every opinion. Right. Like, I I think that old thing is like, don't talk about religion or politics with your friends. I don't think it was like saying that this is, you know, out of bounds or whatever. Uh, I I think it was just saying, like, maybe you don't need to focus on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a, a pleasure to get to know you, and and uh, I, you know what? Uh, are you coming in back to to the East Coast anytime soon, or no? Uh, we may be moving back to New Jersey. I mean, for to perform anytime soon. Um, if if I move back, you'll see me all around. All right. Well, my morning show is affiliated with Governors comedy clubs so and they have four of them on long island so uh do keep in touch and, and let me know and and you know maybe we can we can arrange something if you come back this way or if you're traveling you know with with some shows and stuff but maybe yeah. i maybe i can be of assistance there too anyway it's been great to get to know you and uh appreciate where you're coming from uh and i uh, hope now i'm going to send people i'm sending them to your facebook page but also to your youtube channel right and yeah, and that's absolutely uh, yeah, how, any plans for a website or no? That's not even necessary anymore. <laughs> so I, uh, I had one, and it was just like a very goofy, uh, whimsical thing where it was like, out of all, like, <laughs> I got a, a Squarespace, and it, and it, it shows like, um, like fake book reviews was the template that I used, and it was like, out of all the comedians that I've ever seen, this certainly was one, and. <laughs> I had that up for so long and I kept forgetting to edit the dates and I was like, ah, people just pay attention to my Facebook anyways. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. Uh, you know what? As a former web a guy who was in the web business, sold websites, developed websites, mm-hmm. I don't think they're necessary. I just don't. Uh, nobody goes to your website. They're going to go to your social media pages, which is why it's important to keep up those up to date with what you're doing. But, you know, websites are just big business cards and nobody's really going to go there. Sometimes some people feel like I have to have one, you know, really, nobody's going to go to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, good, good to get to know you and please do. And if you're ever so inclined to get up early and do the morning show, I'd love to have you there, but no pressure. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, I'll, um, I'll actually check out the, what, what dates you have. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, for the rest of this month, you're going to see a lot of serious people. Generally, the morning show is is uh, comedians, and the evening shows for more serious talk. But I've got it asked backwards this week, so I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I but there's a better crowd for comedians. Uh, comedian hungry, comedy hungry crowd in the morning. They they just love that stuff, and they support comedians big time. So it'll be good to get you on there sometime. Okay. 
All right, cool. Thanks. Have a great night, and uh, we look forward to big things from you, man. Thanks for being here. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Andrew Riggs, folks. By the way, uh, <laughs> I mentioned websites. If you Google him, the first thing you're going to get is some guy uh, who's been in, like, horror movies. Lots of horror movies, Andrew Riggs. He's not that guy. <laughs> Go to the links in the description. Anyway, it's been a long day for me, and I still have a night of <clears throat> editing for the food show and other stuff that I will be doing. So uh, that's the show for this evening. I'd love to know what you think. Join me for Coffee with the Dog tomorrow morning and write to me at info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. The links for uh, Andrew are in the uh, description, and they're scrolling across the screen right now, but they're not going to be in one second. Now they stop. Anyway, that's the show for tonight. Write to me at info at minddogtv.com, and don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
Listen to me now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Talk to me now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Talk to me now.